Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. It's been uh, some time since we stepped into the area of home health care here on Chicago's Legal Latte, but uh, as as that industry continues to grow and evolve, it uh, seems like maybe an appropriate time for a quick visit back to that area of the law. Hi again, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and on this podcast series, a discussion about home health care means we're going to rely on uh, one of the best sources available, the managing partner of Laval Law, uh, Attorney Ted McGinn. Ted brings uh, many years of experience in health law and has uh, always been a great contributor here. So uh, we welcome him back. Ted, uh, thanks for taking the time. Nice to have you with us again. Thanks, Jim. Always good to participate in these podcasts. I always enjoy doing that. Um, we've had some great discussions in the past, and, and I know that agencies that provide home health care are under a great deal of, of regulation, as, as we'll talk about today at various points. But, um, uh, you know, the owners uh, who run those firms have to rely on nursing professionals to, to do the home visits. Let's talk about those nurses today. Are they usually employees of the agency, contractors, or, or do you see both scenarios? Well, in a situation when we're dealing with a home health agency, that is an agency that's providing clinical care to patients, and if it's a Medicare provider, then in those situations, the nurses are required to be employees. That's one of the conditions of participation with Medicare is that the nurses are required to be employees of the home health care agency. Okay. And, and in those cases, then, um, what's what's the recommendation on, on the hiring process? I mean, do those uh, nurses generally agree to some sort of a, a, a written contract, a written agreement that defines the, the outline of their employment? I would say, you know, from my experience, what I see out there, I would say it's 50-50 whether they have a written contract or not. Now, take a step back. You know, contrary to popular belief, not all contracts are required to be in writing. You know, sometimes, you know, individuals and businesses, they may not even realize it, but they are entering into contracts, many times oral agreements with their nurses. And I always caution when you have any sort of agreement with a party, especially when it's critical in in your industry, I always caution them in, in having oral agreements. Uh, you know, oral agreements, mm-hmm. like I said before, with a contract can be enforceable, but there are challenges in trying to enforce an oral contract because, you know, the issues that always arise is what was the agreement. You know, entering into the parties are uh, excited about the relationship. They, they feel comfortable with each party. Uh, you know, everybody trusts one another. But later on, there could be disagreements that arise, and you may be in a situation. My, you know, an employer. I, I primarily represent the employers. They may have a situation where they want to enforce a contract, and if it is an oral agreement, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be challenges. Mm-hmm. Primarily uh, in trying to prove what the agreement was. You know, if you have it in writing then it's very clear what the party's obligations were, what the rights of the parties are, 
and it, you know it, it becomes much easier to enforce that contract in a court of law if it is in writing. And and what you mentioned some things there would, would that uh, contract generally outline you know the sort of the work culture what the expectations are the actual work to be for, uh, to be performed or what might go into one of those employment agreements. Well, there's a few things that you want to see in an agreement with your nurse. Um, you know, one of the touchy issues that they deal with from time to time is following the rules of the company. And when you're in a home health care agency and you're a Medicare provider, you're certified through maybe a third-party accreditation agency or, or, or just Illinois Department of Public Health. But regardless, you have certain requirements as an employer and and the way you go about treating these patients, there's certain notes that have to be prepared by the nurses in connection with these visits, and it all has to be documented. It has to be uh, in writing. You need to have pro have face-to-face certifications by the physicians. Um, you know, all that would, would kind of fit in the, the whole description of the nursing notes for those visits, and, and an agency has to have those in order for them to legally submit claims to Medicare and receive reimbursement. If you don't have that, then that agency is kind of vulnerable. So we always try to advise and recommend that those obligations are clearly spelled out into the written employment agreement so it's very clear that that is an obligation of the nurse in that uh, relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, let me add one more thing, though, Jim. Let me add one more thing, though. Well, what I was going to get at is, uh, you know, a lot of time agencies will come to me and say, this nurse is not submitting the notes. You know, what what can I do? Can I just not pay this nurse anymore? And and that puts them in a very vulnerable situation because if the agreement says that I'm going to pay this nurse so much per visit and doesn't really address the whole no, notes issue, then legally that agency can't just simply withhold payment because their agreement is to pay them per visit, and the applicable you know wage payment and collection act, even though you know the nurse is not behaving like you'd like them to, to behave, you still have a contractual obligation and a statutory obligation to pay that nurse for those visits because that's what they are that's what the agreement is uh, if you if you you know one strategy I try to say is that maybe breaking down that payment from the uh, a payment for the visits. And then another payment for the submission of notes. So that way, if, okay, the nurse went out there, they made the visits, but they didn't submit the notes, well, in that situation, the agency would have a legal right to withhold a portion of that payment for the submission of the notes. And that that also creates the incentive for that nurse that says timely submit their notes. And I want to talk about those payment scenarios. Uh, a couple of things there that you brought up, and, and just to maybe wrap this first section up here, um, taking care of the notes, uh, submitting that uh, properly and in a timely fashion seems to be a, a major issue. Are there are there any other common problems, you know, with with these agencies and their nurses that that you've seen, or is it primarily focused in that area? Well, yeah, there are other problems. Uh, an issue that comes up quite a bit is, you know protection of the relationship of patients. Uh, nurses will sometimes leave one agency, go to a different agency, and invariably what happens in that scenario is that the patients that that nurse happened to be seen for that prior agency will go with the nurse to the new agency. And that could be 
become a problem because now all of a sudden you know, the employer is going, going to be losing a chunk of their business, which leads to money, to, you know, revenue, lost revenue, lost profits. So that is a situation that comes up quite a bit. Now, it's a challenging situation, though, because uh, there's a lot of things happening here. I mean, number one, you know, patients certainly have a right to choose who their health care provider would be. And so, you know, courts of law, they they, def, they generally don't want to interfere with that freedom of choice for patients. And then also you get into, you know, a lot of times we talk about doing is using restrictive covenants, non-compete agreements, non-solicitation agreements. And many times courts are kind of reluctant to enforce such provisions because it kind of runs against the whole culture here, the free enterprise marketplace here in the in the United States is that we want everybody to be free to compete against one another. That's good for the economy. It's good for the consumer. It, it forces companies to be innovative and, and provide their nursing care in an efficient and high quality manner uh, at, a, at a lower cost. And, and so, of course, they want to interfere with that. They don't want to jump in the middle of that. So for, for that reason, they, they're sometimes reluctant to enforce these restrictive covenants. Nevertheless, we we recommend that agencies include uh, those restrictive covenants, usually with the non-solicitation clause is what we recommend, as opposed to a non-compete. Because you know, a non-compete, the problem there is a lot of times mm-hmm. a nurse is reluctant to sign a non-compete because they may be involved with other agencies, they may be involved with a hospital, and they don't, you know, they want to have the freedom to to go out there and work with other agencies. You know, generally they they're okay with a non-solicitation because they they agree that hey I'm not gonna you know take these patients and, and that's that's fair. Um, now when a nurse leaves, enforcement of those provisions are a different story. I, I, you know, having that in the contract, I think it gives the employer a basis to go after those nurses. I mean, if it's not in the if it's not in the agreement, you don't have anything to fight with. You know, but if it's in the agreement, you have right. a clause, you have a right. Uh, whether or not you want to try to enforce it by going to court, that's a different story. But nevertheless, you have something that you can try to challenge that nurse if they're trying to steal, or, you know, or, or try to take patients to go to another agency. Yeah. Um, we're talking with uh, Ted McGinn today, the managing partner at Lavelle Law, um, and uh, kind of talking about some of the relationships between uh, health providers and the nurses that work for them. Um, we're not going to get to everything today, so. If you want to follow up, visit LavelleLaw.com. You'll find Ted's profile there, some articles on topics like this, and, of course, information as to how to get in touch with him. Um, Ted, you were talking about a nurse leaving an agency and taking patients with them. Uh, I know in our discussions in the past we've talked about um, uh, how an agency cannot pay physicians for referrals. Uh, There's regulation against that. What about nurses? Can they be uh, in paid in some way if they bring clients with them or uh, or refer clients into the agency? Well, it, they generally cannot be paid for referring a patient, uh, in, especially if you're in the Medicare arena. If you're dealing with Medicare uh, reimbursements, the anti-kickback, the federal anti-kickback law applies that would prohibit an agency, a Medicare provider, from paying anybody, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, a social worker, a secretary, anybody, you can't pay anybody for the referral of a patient if it's involving with Medicare. So getting back to the nurse situation, that would also apply to a nurse. An agency cannot pay a nurse for, for referring a patient. Otherwise, that would violate the federal anti-kickback law. 
And when you mentioned earlier, maybe breaking out the pay scale, the wage scale, based on the number of visits or the visit, and then and then the actual follow-up work that goes with that, um, would that be done purely as a, sort of a, a salary or hourly, however they would want to divide it up? I mean, it, can, can these nurses receive bonuses, performance bonuses in any way, or is that a, a, a word you have to avoid in these contracts? No, you don't have to avoid that word. I mean, going back, I mean, most agencies will pay nurses on a per visit basis. They don't really typically pay salary. I mean, they have in, in some situations, but usually it's, you know, agencies will try to set it up, structure that you'll get paid so much per visit. And like I said, in some situations, you could break that pay down between the visit pay and also the submission of notes pay. But but putting that aside, you're getting into, you know, a bonus. You know, can an agency pay a nurse a bonus? Well, um, I mean, generally, employers should be able to reward their employees for doing a good job. You want to be able to create incentive structures in place because you want your workers, number one, to do good work, and number two, you want them to remain loyal to your company. So if you're in a situation where you're a Medicare provider, uh, you know, you can pay a bonus, but the key is how is that bonus going to be determined? You, the bonus cannot be a function of referrals to the agency, mm-hmm. and then you get into the anti-kickback law. Um, I recommend having bonuses to be discretionary, or at the very least, you want to keep it completely away from, you know, economic or you know, profitability or referral of patients. I mean, you got to come up with some other metric in which that bonus would be generated, or like I said, you leave it completely discretionary, and then management would make a decision whether they want to reward that employee or not. Uh, so, so the 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 short answer to your question, you could pay a bonus, but you have to do it in a careful way. And uh, before I let you go, thirty seconds or so, um, when it comes to agencies like this trying to put together documents, um, uh, I assume you might have sort of a, a template or a standard that they might follow, and it would be good advice to get with an attorney like you first to sit down and say, this is what one of these contracts should look like. Well, they definitely need to sit down with an attorney. This is a very complicated area of the law. Uh, you, you, there's the, you know, really seeing co- prosecutions of people for violating law or Stark law prohibit, you know, provisions. Mm-hmm. So you got to be very careful. It's complicated. They need to sit down with a lawyer to make sure that their structures comply with applicable regulations. Well, excellent. Uh, our uh, lawyer today, uh, Attorney Ted McGinn of Lavelle Law, joined us, and I want to thank Ted for being here. As always, we appreciate his time and his input. Uh, find out more about him at lavellelaw.com or give him a call directly, 847-705-7555. Thanks so much for listening.